You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Claire's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 189. I am your host, Reality Steve, a tad under the weather here today. Um, look, got a little bit of the sniffles. Don't worry, this isn't uh, corona related. I don't have a shortness of breath or a fever, anything like that. Just a little bit of the sniffles, a little congested. But uh, got a great show for you this week as uh, Andy Denart from realityblurred.com is joining us for the third time in his career. In case you missed it on Friday, I had our first update in a while on Bachelorette filming, um, and that is that from everything I'm hearing, the plan is contestants, cast, crew will be out in Palm Springs, California this next week, this next Wednesday, which would be, or Thursday, I guess. It would be the 9th or 10th. July 9th or 10th is when cast and crew is expected to arrive at the Rancho Mirage, the Ritz-Carlton Rancho Mirage in Palm Springs, which is a, I mean, you talk about five-star resort. I mean, this is... A very, very luxurious resort, and I could see why they would go there. And, um, yes, there will be testing, periodic testing as well uh, throughout the season, periodic testing before they even start filming. I heard they're going to be quarantined for about a week. I know everyone's got questions about quarantine and why aren't they being quarantined for two weeks. I mean, there's just – I don't have those type of answers for you. I just know what I've heard, which is people are arriving – Around the 9th or the 10th, filming's going to begin about a week later after everyone's quarantined. So I would expect that ABC will release their cast around that time as well. I don't know. We know that 32 men were released back in March when they were supposed to film. We know all 32 of those men are not going to be in the new cast. I can't tell you which ones aren't going to be in. I have names and bios already ready to go of a few that I know are going out there this time that weren't in the original cast. But... When the new cast does come out in a couple weeks, I'm assuming they'll release it before the season starts like they do for every season now. Um, I would appreciate the why isn't so-and-so on the show anymore. Um, it's just, it, it'd be a lot easier because it's going to be difficult enough to gather the names of all the new guys on. I mean, I'm going to have a few, but I don't think I'm going to have every single one. Uh, so once they release the cast, I'll have to go digging for them and and whatnot. But... um and I don't know before we even get the cast released. I don't know how many are going to be of the 32 that were released back in March. I don't know how many of them are not going to be on now. Um, I wouldn't even be able to guess. You could tell me five. You could tell me ten. You could tell me half. I don't know. But there definitely will be guys from the original cast that are no longer on. But to find out the reason, it's just not worth my time. It's just it's not important. Um you heard this if you heard the live Sunday night with Ashley Spivey, you know there is one that I that I am well aware about well aware of as to why he's not on anymore. And um if he shows up, then his story will get revealed. But if not, he's not part of Net Bachelor Nation, so there's really no reason to talk about it. Um I've been told he's not on the show anymore. Um so we'll see. Maybe he's lying about that. Maybe he Lied to the person who he said that to, and um, really is going on. I don't know. For his sake, I hope not. I hope he just stays off the show because 
it's not a good story. And, uh, you know, already we've got we wouldn't want to start off the season that way. Um, it'd be good juice. I'm sure you'd all love it. But, you know, uh, it's just stupid if he goes on the show, put it that way. And he's well aware of what's out there about him. So that's why I don't think he's going on. So we'll see. Um, we'll, we should know in a couple of weeks, I would think, like I said, I, I would think that they're once the whole cast is out there, they're going to take the photos again, put their bios up and we would know the guys before they actually begin filming because they've done that for, I think, was it four or five seasons now they've done it? Can't remember the exact number, but, uh, so that's the latest on Claire's season. Uh, believe it or not, we are getting closer to something in bachelor nation actually happening and filming actually beginning. One other thing that came down uh, today, which was kind of surprising to me as well, was that uh, Brad Womack's two seasons of The Bachelor are going to be on Greatest of All Time uh, on July 20th. So uh, in two weeks, or yeah, in two weeks, or two weeks from this upcoming Monday, his episode will air, and they're going to combine both of his seasons uh, into one three-hour episode. Just like this upcoming Monday, they were combining the first Bachelor and first Bachelorette season, which is Alex Michelle and Trista Sutter, um, they're going to combine those into one. Well, on July 20th, they're combining both the Brad seasons. They're going to have women, Jenny and Deanna, both former podcast guests on. They're going to have Ashley on. They're going to have Michelle Money on to talk about his second season. And I think even Emily. I think I saw her name on the list, too. So they're going to talk to Emily as well about, um, about Brad. So going to be interesting. And the most important one in that is they actually got Brad to do it. I, Brad is someone that pretty much has distanced himself from the franchise even after coming on the second time. But um, according to the press release, he's in. So they're going to speak to Brad and talk about his two seasons, which is uh, pretty surprising. But those are the two big things going on in Bachelor Nation right now. I just thought I'd update you on that. So anyway, let's get started. We got uh, Andy Denart again uh, for the third time. He's been on uh, in the three and a half years I've had this podcast. So here we go. Podcast number 189. Okay, let's welcome him in. Uh, this is his third time on the podcast, first time since last uh, September, I believe. He is the owner and the creator of RealityBlurred.com. He's also a professor at Stetson University. It is Annie Denner. Annie, how are you? Hey, great, Steve. Good to be back for a third time. I'm, I'm honored. Yes, this is, uh, this is kind of a... Um, we bring it on because of a, 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 a milestone coming up or a... Uh, a pretty big milestone in your in your writing career with Reality Blurred. Next Wednesday, July eighth, is the twenty year. Um, I, I don't want to say reunion. It's not the reunion. <laughs> twenty year anniversary of the start yes. of RealityBlurred.com. dot com. Yes, exactly. I'm tw- it's twenty years old. So I guess if I if this was a child, it would now be well off to college and halfway through its you know year of quarantine college. <laughs> so I. I Explain to me, and I can't remember if we did this in, our, in the first time you were on, but now that we're at a 20-year anniversary here, explain to me what got you started with Reality Blurred, and when you did start it, did you ever imagine 20 years later you, you'd still be doing this? Because 20 years, basically you started in 2000, that was the advent of reality TV. So you might have thought, hey, this is a new fad in television, I'll, I'll cover it, and See how long it goes, but uh, yeah, explain everybody exactly how this got started in your, in your head and getting it to a computer screen. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um, I had been a, a year earlier. I um, basically not actually yeah I, a year earlier, which is 1999. I recapped 
a show called The Real World Hawaii, uh, which was the one with uh, Ruthie. You might remember driving drunk while producers followed her in a production van that yeah. uh, amazing season. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first season of t- reality TV that I wrote about, or even the first season of TV, really, and just came out of me doing an internship and talking about reality TV all the time. And people were like, you should just write about it. So I did that kind of in a pre-recap world. I was writing about the show weekly. And then when it came to write about the show in a year later, when it came back in 2000, um, some people had changed at that company. And basically the editor and I weren't getting along very well. And the short version is he fired me, um, which was probably good because I was probably being a little insolent. Uh, But I suddenly found myself having an inability to write about the show that I loved, which was coming on back on the air um at the same time though we just had had making the band on abc which was kind of the first reality show to come on network tv um and then big brother and survivor were coming up in the summer um or and and had started by the time i started the site but i was just missing writing about it and so i basically was like let me just do this and i stole essentially the format um or the the style of a blog that i've been reading called media gossip um which was just sort of aggregating news about the media industry. And I did that with reality TV, like every single thing I could find on the internet. And this was basically pre Google. So I was like searching on Alta Vista and, uh, you know, Lycos and trying to find as much information as I could and then linking to that. And that's evolved into over these 20 years into a site where I'm reporting and writing long reviews and doing feature stories and, and yes, still linking to cool stuff that I find as well. So to answer your other question, uh, I never thought it would make 20 years. Um, but it's, it's like, you know, in retrospect, it became a model of that thing. Like you just, you just do things one day, one thing at a time. And suddenly you'll have, you know, I've written more than 15,000 stories now. Um, and if you told me today, like, I want you to write 15,000 anything, even words, I'd be like, no, I can't do that. Like, that's impossible. Yeah. So now that's, that's a pretty major accomplishment, 15,000 stories in 20 years. Um, I mean, would you say... I mean, I don't know what you would say. What would be the biggest evolution that you've seen just within your site? We'll get to the reality TV aspect of it later on. But um, the biggest evolution you've seen on your site in terms of how things have changed or how you have changed in covering things. Yeah, I think that switch, and it it happened gradually, but probably happened most about 10 years ago, was – um, just this, the popularity, the increasing popularity of reality TV and what that did both to my ability to cover it, but also to, um, just the, the general nature of, of in the internet itself. So in the early days of reality blurred, like you can go on archive.org and look at it. Like in the sidebar, I basically listed every single reality show that was on the air and it's time slot because I could do that. Um, that would be absolutely impossible even today. Um, even in this sort of a little abbreviated summer where we don't have as many shows as normal. Um, so as shows kind of like picked up like that, it became increasingly impossible for me to cover every single thing and find every piece of news. And meanwhile, like I think the gossip magazines and other blogs and like started covering reality TV more seriously and covering the drama and, you know, the stuff like the bachelor bachelorette bachelor in paradise are a great example. Like there is no way I alone could follow all of the off camera drama and interpersonal dynamics. And I'm sure you can't even follow it all because there is so much um, that can happen. Um, So I just have to pick and choose a little bit more. And, and I see that now as my role is sort of like filtering through all of the deluge and finding the good stuff or the particularly bad stuff and uh, pointing that out and writing about it in various ways. Well, the other thing that 
has happened over the years is because I don't think this was your a job of yours in 2000 was you became part of the Television Critics Association. So you have access to go to upfronts and stuff like that and talk to network execs and ask questions, which you've been very open about and drilling certain people. Uh, I know that you've harped on CBS a lot for their who they cast on their show and the fact that they do nothing about racist and misogynistic and homophobic comments from their contestants. That's something that you've championed for a, for a while now. And, um, I mean, talk about that and the fact that you've had access to go to – I mean, I don't know how many upfronts you've been to over the years. Is it a lot? How many of you? Oh yes, yeah, so it's actually for TC for the Television Critics Association. It's TCA, so upfronts is mostly for advertisers. Oh, the advertisers, although, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Um, it's basically the same idea, which is the networks present press conferences, and we ask questions, and then we get to sort of potentially mingle with or ask more questions in in a little more casual settings. Um, but yeah, it certainly has changed. Like because, and I got into the TCA in 2008, so about eight years in. And those twice a year press tours, which we're not doing this summer for obvious reasons, we can't bring together several hundred people in Los Angeles uh, for two and a half weeks. Um, yeah. And so, but that just like having, being able to sit in a room and ask the president of ABC a question about what they're doing with the Bachelor or Challenge, the, you know, executives at CBS about what's happening on uh, survivor or, or just like find out, like sit down and talk to a producer about like, you know, meet the producer of Holy Moly and ask questions about, um, how they did this certain obstacle or what, why this is the case or, or just to sort of hear things, um, about how shows are produced. And I love that so much. Like I love finding out about the behind the scenes. Um, and I love, um, learning more about the people who care so much to produce these shows. And there's a lot of people who are just super passionate about producing reality TV and do a great job with it. And so I think it's, it's really amazing to be in that room and be able to, you know, have that quote unquote access. And for me, I've tried not to let it change my, um, willingness to hold them accountable when they screw up uh, in the same way that I want people who read reality blurred to hold me accountable when I screw up. Cause I certainly have done that over 20 years or so. Do you have a favorite show over the years that you've liked to cover? I, it was probably, I know that you said to get started with real world, but um, did it move on to survivor? I know that you, you're, you are a huge survivor fan. You are very critical of it and the changes that it's gone through over the years, but would you say Survivor is your best show to cover or your favorite show to cover? I think so, yeah. And I th I think that's just because I don't I have not watched another show for 20 years nor has another show kept my attention and even when it's disappointed me or made really bad mistakes um there it has also like had good moments and it has had great seasons and um it's introduced a lot of great people to the world and a lot of people who are now doing um work to hold it accountable which is which is great um so yeah survivor i think number one i mean there's certainly been shows throughout the years that i think i've been um super passionate about and then tend to go away which is sad like whether that's um, something like the mole for its first two seasons, especially, or the quest on ABC, um, that hybrid show that was like kind of half fiction, half reality where people went into a fictional Lord of the Rings style world and then had a strategic game inside of that. Um, yeah, there's been lots of shows that I've just, you know, and I love that discovery and finding something new, but that survivor definitely does hold that 
position of like being the longest, the oldest, and the thing that I think, you know, I know the most about. Plus, um, I went on location three times before CBS decided that I should no longer be allowed to do that. Um, so it just gave me a lot of insight into how the show actually works behind the scenes, which, like I said before, I love and can incorporate into my coverage. All right, take a break real quick. Talk to you about Magic Spoon. God, I love cereal. I love it before bed. I loved it as a kid. I've kind of gotten back into it as an adult, believe it or not. Um, when I was a kid, all I did was eat the bad cereal, the one that had all the sugar in it. I've been trying to cut down on carbs recently, and I realized I can't do that eating those sugary cereals. So here comes Magic Spoon. It's got zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They got four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It does taste amazing, really. Honestly, too good to be true. It's so similar to those sugary cereals that I convinced myself, hey, this is a perfect substitute. I love it. Go to magicspoon.com slash Steve to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code Steve at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash Steve and use the code Steve for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. The good timing here is the fa- is the fact that yesterday this is gonna you you had posted a column uh, in regards to the Bachelorette and the changes you got to actually well <laughs> I want to say you actually got to speak <laughs> to somebody but uh, nobody has responded to you yet but uh, you Correct. reached you reached out to Warner Brother or ABC uh, about the changes that they claim they are going to make uh, in you know diversity uh, within this show, and um, you have not heard back yet. Or they, they referred you to the production company, NZK Productions, I'm assuming, and um, you have not heard back from them yet. Um, so, I mean, this is something that's become big, obviously, in the world the last month, and um, there's been a, a major campaign online, uh, the Instagram account Batch Diversity, uh, which has over 100,000 signatures now uh, to implement all these different steps to improve the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise, not just having more black people on and people of color on, uh, just the way they treat contestants and uh, just a lot of different things. It, it, people that have been listening have been I've been promoting it left and right. Um, so you can go on BatchDiversity.com and read, read what their program is. But... Um, it, it's tough to say because Claire season hasn't even started filming yet, so we won't know if anything has changed until the next season airs. Um, you know, right. and we'll see things. But from your sense, do you think this is that ABC is serious about doing this after twenty seasons or twenty years, um, forty seasons? Yeah, I want to be uh, optimistic, but I just keep falling back on too much of a cynical response which and that's just based on past experience which is my sense is they you know they were at least at first like casting matt as the bachelor okay great you've made like you finally corrected the one glaring error um the most obvious thing which was you have not had a black man as the star of this franchise even though you've cast dozens of boring white guys over and over again um so Great. So they, they, that's a good change. And then the thing that was heartening and I actually feel like was a good step was that the producers released a statement and when ABC announced that they were going to change, um, when they announced Matt's casting, um, Carrie Burke, who's the president of entertainment at ABC said, um, she said, we 
we realize um, that this is, quote, this is just the beginning and we will continue to take action with regard to diversity issues on this franchise. So that to me says, yep, we get it. This, this one act is important, but it is not going to be the only thing we do because if it is like, that's, that's just, that's like one, it's sort of like they cast Rachel and we know that she was an amazing bachelorette. They also cast a racist person on her season. And then they produced that into a storyline where they made her choose between him and someone else. Like that is terrible producing and a terrible way to treat your um, bachelorette star, never mind your first and only black star on the entire franchise. Yeah. So they just need to make a lot of changes behind the scenes. And this has all come up pretty quickly. Like obviously the um, protests over the last month. And there's been a lot of, I think, awakening to the reality of black people in America, especially um, from white people. So maybe the bachelor franchise has been like, yes, we're, we realized like something is amiss here. But I also wonder like in the two or three weeks since Carrie Burke's statement came out and since the producers made their statement saying that they know that something has to change, have they made changes? Have they, have they hired producers who are on the ground level and producing the cast members who are not just um, white people? And I say that as a white person myself, um, like, do we have more experience from other kinds of shows? Do we have other more experience? Like, and I think even what's even important is like all kinds of representation. Like I think obviously the um, Claire is, but when she was cast was the thing that made headlines was that she was the oldest bachelorette ever. Right. Um, even though she's 39, which is not old, I say as a 42 year old, uh, but it's like, so it's important to like produce that well. And like, if you have all 25 year old producers trying to produce someone who's 15 years older than them and trying to make a storyline out of how old she is, that's, that's ridiculous. And that's not going to work. And in the exact same way, like we need, um, Black producers, we need people of color. We need more diversity in all ways um, behind the scenes to help direct and guide the show um, in the right direction because it has been going in the wrong direction um, in many ways. One of the many issues that I've had with this show over the years and, and speaking about this particular topic is the fact that when they have been asked in the past why the lack of diversity on the show, Mike Fleiss, Chris Harrison, even Robert Mills have always said the same thing, which is, we just don't get a lot of black applicants. And my and my answer to that has always been, well, why would a black person apply to be on this show when they see they are marginalized, they are token people on this show, um, and this show doesn't represent their life? So it's like almost a chicken, chicken and the egg theory with this show and how black people are cast. And, you know, I don't know if this means that they're going to just cram more black people into, into Claire's season or half of Matt's cast is going to be black women. We don't know yet. Um, but I would just hope that they're a little more open to when you do have black contestants on their show, not a lot of them have had great storylines either. You know, they, they haven't gotten great edits of it's like, oh, the angry black girl. Okay, great. Oh, this guy, you know, it's just it doesn't it, it hasn't worked out for them. And I just I almost think and maybe it's because it's nothing but white producers on that show that they don't know how to produce a black contestant, really. I mean, right. I think they're really they're at a crossroads here where now we're in a time where they're going to be held accountable because people are now going to be openly looking for, okay, how is this show changing? And if Claire's season comes back, and granted, it's going to be different. It's the way that it's shot. There's no exotic travel. There's not going to be exotic dates uh, for her season. You know, We're talking about one location, lockdown, 
for five weeks of filming. It's going to be totally different. You're not going to go to somebody's hometown. So this is going to be kind of an outlier, and maybe even Matt's season is going to be the same because maybe in September when his when they want to film his, and that's when Bachelor normally films, I don't know if the world's going to be changed by then, and they're going to be able to even do maybe a domestic travel or get right. get an RV and just get an RV and go somewhere. Um, <laughs> Red I rules. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see, but I I guess we just don't know until <laughs> we see Claire's For season. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. But but also like we I think what we do know, like you said, they always use that as an excuse. And then last year there's they have Mike Johnson, a uh, fan favorite, right? And yeah. they can cast him and oh we go with Peter, the boring guy again. Um and to some degree, like in terms of the actual on the ground producing, like what reality TV producing often is is like distilling people into like one characteristic that they have and like kind of just blowing that up and turning that into their story or their thing. And the bachelor, it's interesting how they basically produce that right. Starting right away, like by producing the limo arrivals, right? Like they're, it's like, tell everyone who you are by doing something ridiculous. And that's the kind of narrative that person sticks with. And when you have two dozen white people, each of them has the chance to sort of like be very different in the way that they're presented. And even if they're sort of being reduced to some one or two things, there's still a wide range there. But when you have a limited number of people of color and black men on The Bachelorette, especially to be cast for as potentially the star for the, of The Bachelor, you then have them being reduced often to the same kind of stereotypical tropes that we've seen years and years and years on reality TV and also regular TV spanning decades. So um, it's certainly not The Bachelor is not alone in this problem, but I think it's like just become really acute in the past few years. And like you said, their hollow statements just sound increasingly hollow as they like, you know, have more options and then decline to actually go with them. Yeah. And the thing is like, look, we don't know, especially about all these other shows because producer people are not very outgoing on social media of I I'm a producer on uh, this show, but of the ones I know in the bachelor world, none of them are black. And I don't know how many black producers Survivor has or Big Brother has or any of the major shows, Amazing Race. It just seems this is probably an industry-wide thing, I would think. that It is. Okay. Survivors survivors on the ground producers are mostly men, mostly white. And, like, then we have the sexual harassment thing that happened last fall. And it's like, well, why, like... Like the producers are saying, like, well, if you just told us, and it's like we did tell you repeatedly on camera, we were being touched without our consent, and like no one did anything. So that's anyway. That's uh, I'm so mad about that. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. No, that. Um, do and by the way, do we know what happened with Dan professionally? Uh, not. I have not heard from him or about him, and I don't. You know, if if he reemerges in some way, I think that will be interesting. Um. He certainly was. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if he like still is working as an agent. And maybe I'll make a note to follow up on that because um, that's interesting to think about if if he if it affected him outside of his outside of the show. Because I've I mean we've never heard I've never seen him do an interview, a podcast, nothing. I mean he's been disappeared since that since that incident happened, and and he was like you said. I mean his job was he was an agent in Hollywood. So I'm curious to see what happened with that guy, and I haven't heard a thing in a year. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And by the way, just in terms of producers not talking to one of the reasons for that, and I think 
a lot of us reality TV fans aren't aware of this, and it, I certainly didn't know about it for a long time, which is nearly everyone who works on nearly every reality show is a freelancer. So no one has a permanent job, and they work on one show, and then they have to go to another show where they can't pay their rent. Um, and so you have like this system that basically, like, if you speak out or challenge the show internally, I think you can become labeled as a problem and then not rehired or not given recommendations to go elsewhere. And if you do that externally, like if someone came on your podcast and talked openly about how The Bachelor is produced behind the scenes, do you think The Bachelor is going to hire them again? Um, Or even even other shows might be like, well, we don't want someone who's going to talk. And so I have this, like, I, it's so hard for me, even off the record, just to have a conversation with producers. They are so, um, skeptical or you know they are very cautious and i understand that because that entire industry is built up on relationships but that's allowed this system to be perpetuated in this system of of especially of whiteness uh in charge of producing on almost every level it's really no different than any contestant signing an nda and a contestant never really able to now the bachelor people have done it where have they have written books but no bachelor contestant has ever written a book that's a complete expose of the show and what really goes on behind the show because you're not allowed to. They don't want you to, and there's a reason they don't want you to is because they don't want you to know how the sausage is made. And it's the same reason why you don't hear, like you said, producers doing podcasts and producers speaking out about, oh, yeah, I used to work on that show, and we totally did things this way, and this is how we got people to do things, and I remember doing this and getting this person to cry or getting this person to drink or getting this person to call someone else a bitch. They don't want it known that it's that it's basically look I, I deal with this every season and it becomes whose fault is it is it the contestants fault because they're the ones that it ultimately comes out of their mouth or is it the producer's fault for making them do something that maybe they don't want to do and they've gotten to the point where I've talked to enough contestants that said they wouldn't let me go to sleep they wouldn't let me eat until I gave them what they wanted so whose fault is that you for ultimately giving in or the producer's fault for being a jerk and um, getting as much as they can and getting the exact um, reaction or the exact quote that they want. It's what we as an audience and the audience that the trolls that form online, who do the trolls go after the contestants for what they did and what they said on the show? And they leave mean comments. I'm like, Oh my God, you were such a bitch. I can't believe you did that. And there are contestants that have come to me and said, yeah, it was three in the morning and I was in that room for two hours and I would not give them what they want. And then I just said, screw it. I'll just fine. I want to go to bed. And they gave it to them. Yeah. So that's why producers are never going to be held accountable on this on these shows. And like you said, they they won't be because you can't find them. They won't do an interview and they're freelancers and there's no way they're ever going to admit to it because then people are going to be like, well, we can't have this person on our show. The guy's in a podcast and it's giving away all of our secrets. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And if you think about um, just like I, I totally I because I think I was probably in that same position as like you were saying is a lot of fans who are sort of like, well, look, this is what the person said. They said it like, why would you say something on camera? But I think what, you know, like, as what you're describing almost sounds like, you know, it's like active, like, I don't know, I'm looking for a word here that I can't find, but it's like they're pressuring them in ways, but there's a, there's a power imbalance. Oh, sure. And when the person with the person with the camera and the ability to edit you has you on a show and is like, you know what, we're going to like, we're going to turn you into X, Y, or Z unless you do 
you know, A, B, and C, you know, you could walk off the show, but how do you think they're going to edit you when you do that? Um, and like, we've seen like the bachelor's manipulative editing is almost comical now in terms of how just totally phony it is. Like I I'm remembering back to when they did that, like broke back bachelor ad and basically like created a same sex relationship out of nothing. Yeah. Um, just, just for, for an ad. Um, and like that just seemed, it's like almost comical if it wasn't so, frustrating and annoying um but if they can if they you know but i don't think a lot of people when they're watching realize that because it's so easy just to get caught up in the narrative because the editors and the producers are really good at their jobs and they can craft a story out of nothing and um or or take the things you know one of the best things i've ever heard was from a story producer or story editor who talked about their job in reality tv as being you have you're given a bunch of broken glass and then you have to create like a um a window out of that um the stained glass window and it's like so yes all those pieces of glass are there those are real a person actually said that thing but when you take two different things and put them next to each other or you break it up into even tinier parts you know or and also how did even that piece of glass get there in the first place is i think the question we're asking too is like was someone coerced into it or threatened and that's pretty awful on its own i think the biggest thing you said there was the power imbalance between the producer and the contestant because you have no power as a contestant on any of these shows but mostly i want to say bachelor and bachelorette because we're talking about that right now and you know i mean they will threaten they've been threatened with well you know if you don't go kiss her or you don't go kiss him or you don't open up or tell them you love them you're probably going home tonight because so and so already told them they love her they love him they love her um so and then they get in this awkward situation where they're forcing someone to reveal feelings in episode three about somebody that they barely know and, 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 you know, they're telling them, like, look, if you don't open up tonight, like, he's already kissed six girls. If you don't go in there and kiss him, you're probably not getting a rose and you're probably going home. And so then there's that whole dynamic of, you know, most of these people, especially now in 2020, and I'd say since probably 2015 or 2016, we all know a lot of these people are going on the show to build a brand and want to be part of Bachelor Nation, want to be talked about, want to get a chance to be on Bachelor in Paradise. So... They're going to do anything they can to stay on the show. I don't think it's as hard now to convince contestants to say and do stuff that's going to get them camera time because that's all this is. It's fighting for camera time and who's going to get uh, an edit to where you get camera time. Whether it's good or bad, as long as people are talking about you, you become relevant on this show. And when you don't create drama and when you don't say anything, you're just filler at that point. Yeah. And I think, I think far too many people see that sort of like, Oh, look, they're just doing this to become an Instagram influencer and they're going to make money off of it. And so, but they use that as an excuse to not having, not have any empathy for the person at all, or not even think about what that person went through in order to like, why were you even in that position? Like, why are you so desperate to make money in this way? And I think, you know, I think multiple things can be true at once. Like someone, there can be this wild imbalance of power that and threats and coercion and there can also be someone who's desperate for attention and wants to make money off of this and those two things can sometimes work together and sometimes they can be in conflict and it doesn't make the threats or power imbalance any better um just because the other person you know the person that they're abusing in this moment is you know also desperate for attention and is a you know wannabe instagram influencer I think it's it's fascinating what this show has been able to do and you know look it it's 
it provides my income, and I've been covering it for God knows how long, and we're 40 seasons in, and Claire's going to be season number 41 in almost 20 years. I mean, it's amazing what they've been able to do. Not many reality shows are on 40 seasons. It's Bachelor. It's Survivor. Uh, Big Brother would be 40 seasons if they did to a seat to a calendar year but right. you know they're 21 seasons in and looking at 22 but i i do want to move on to survivor and big brother real quick yeah. um just because of of covid and where we're at right now normally survivor would be god they would have wrapped on their, they'd be done yeah, yeah they'd, done they'd, be, with both. they'd be done with both seasons because they filmed them back to back and then they air one in the fall and they air one in the spring of 2021 they haven't even filmed the fall one yet so it looks like the september the normal september fall start fall start for survivor is not happening um i i don't see any way it happens unless they literally start filming in a week <laughs> they do their 39 days and they turn it around within three or four weeks i i don't think that's going to happen so it, from what you've heard about survivor let's talk about survivor first what have you heard about survivor of of what could possibly be happening and if it doesn't go on the fall does that how bad does it change their schedule going forward yeah, well, I think just to start with the fall schedules, I think that nearly every network is basically saying, here's the shows we will have on the air, but every no one is saying when. Yeah. So I think like best case scenario is like late fall, maybe spanning into winter a little bit. I think looking at the way cases are sort of exploding in California right now, especially where a lot of production would occur on scripted shows, it might be like this fall schedule becomes the winter schedule. Um, so there's, there's that, like, I think we, none of, no show has a clear return date at this point. Um, in terms of survivor, like the good news is unlike the United States, which has been absolutely pathetic and it's managing of this entire crisis, um, Fiji where survivor films also where love Island films, uh, is in really good shape. They have next to none or the last time I looked, it was like eight people and they were all recovering, um, and, so they're like, because they're an island nation, they're able to contain and they've also made better choices. Um, but are they going to open their borders to hundreds of international crew members and 20 American contestants and let them come in and potentially infect them? They're not. So um, the most recent news is that Fiji has basically issued a set of protocols and guidelines for what productions would have to go through in order to film there. And that includes testing people before they get on planes once they land in Fiji and then quarantining them for at least two weeks once they get there. And I think that that could make a season of survivor pretty possible and relatively quickly. Um, the major roadblock that I'm seeing right now is that as part of that, at least Fiji has paused its um, tax breaks for productions of the film. There like, various municipalities give tax breaks to productions. Uh, there's a reason we see so many shows filming in Georgia and it's because they have really good tax incentives, like everything from the Avengers to, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a real, uh, you know, married at first sight have filmed in Georgia because of their great incentives. Mm. Um, and Fiji gives a 45% rebate. So if a season of survivor costs $10 million to film, it's probably much, much, much more than that, but they're going to get $4.5 million back. Uh, which is absurd. And that basically means it costs half as much to produce the show. Um, but without that money, I can't see Survivor doing what it normally does. Um, so I think that that might be the next hurdle. And and I know Fiji is desperate to get them back because 
Survivor also hires hundreds of local crew members. They buy local materials and food and other supplies there. So they're contributing to the economy um, in some ways. So I'm hopeful, but I agree. There's, I don't think there's any way we see a season of Survivor start in mid-September right now like normal. I think that that is probably impossible or at least becoming impossible every sub- subsequent day that passes and production has not begun. The other thing is, <clears throat> you know, the fall season of Survivor would have normally filmed April into May, right? It's the for fall films April, May, and then the spring season films May and June or maybe June, July, right? Yeah, just and usually done at the very, very beginning of July, so right about now. Okay, so the fall season that would have filmed in April and May would now be filming July and August is there a major weather change in um, – not that, you know, obviously you have to deal with the elements when you go out on Survivor, but will it be way worse filming in July and August or August, September uh, for a for a fall filming of Survivor? I don't know. I don't know what Fiji's weather is like, but you really – look, there are certain seasons of Survivor where it's been like, wow, they had a lot of rain, or wow, they got barely any and it was hot the whole time. And it was over 100, and these people were dying. Um, I'm curious, you know, if they film in July and August, which they've never done, at least that I know of, um, if it's a July-August filming for a fall season or an August-September filming, how bad the weather is or it's does it benefit them? Does it make it easier? I don't know. I don't know what Fiji's Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a good question. And the spring filming has been interrupted um, by cyclones before yeah. several times and they've had to evacuate the cast. So I'm not sure when that season begins or ends. So like maybe let's say survivors ready to get back into production and the virus has been eradicated by some magical thing in, you know, September, October. And then suddenly now we're in full on cyclone season down there. Um, it's yeah. I think there's a lot of those kind of logistical things that certain um, survivor did used to film like one season in June so like May, June, July, kind of that range. And then one season in um, October. So like maybe a little bit September, mostly into October, November. Um, but that was when it was moving around the world and yeah. it could choose locations that obviously had more, um, you know, like better weather for that particular time. But yeah, I think there's, I think there's just a lot of hurdles. And, and, you know, I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, just film it in America. And like, I would love that more than anyone else because I would love another season of Survivor. But like between the cost, between taxes, between like um, the logistics of it, like it's just not that simple. Um, It's not something they can just magically do overnight and maybe they'll shift and maybe that changes Survivor forever in terms of what they're able to do or they scale way down somehow. But um, I haven't heard any talk of that. And I think everyone's still kind of hoping to return to quote unquote normal sooner than later. You know, you mentioned about fall schedules and people are saying, hey, these are the shows you're going to see this fall, but we just haven't given you a start date for them yet because they haven't even started filming. You know, for Claire's season, they have said she's on the fall schedule, but she's going to air on Tuesday nights and Dancing with the Stars is still going to be airing on Monday nights. Have you heard anything in regards to Dancing with the Stars on how this is going to go off? Because this is, I got to imagine, we're going to be no audience. Um this is those dancers will be tested. I gotta believe. I mean, this is you're in close proximity to your partner all day long for eight to ten hours a day that you're rehearsing. I gotta imagine right. those people are going to be tested every single day or every other day or something like that. But have you heard anything in regards to Dancing with the Stars of how that's going to go off? 
Not in not in terms of that, but what's what I have heard is that um, so you think you can dance decided they could not produce a show this summer, so they've canceled the entire season. So. And I don't see how you can do Dancing with the Stars if you can't do So You Think You Can Dance. Like, if anything, Dancing with the Stars has more contact between dancers. Because yeah. um, So You Think You Can Dance is often individual dancers. So, yeah, I think there's a lot um, there. And especially because this, it's Dancing with the Stars is not something that you can film really quickly. Like, The Masked Singer is one of the shows that Fox is pretty confident that it can get back on the air. But I think that's pretty simple to to imagine how they can get back they don't have a massive they don't have to have a studio audience they can keep the judges far apart from each other and of course like the singers are already wearing masks so yay for them um they will be and like you don't you don't have a lot of contact between people otherwise so i could see that show getting up to production in an easy way but the 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 actual dancing i have no idea and i think honestly one of the reasons i think you know i'm I realize like I'm answering with your, a lot of your questions like, I don't know, we don't know. And I think that's because as far as what I've heard from producers and, and the people that I've heard talking about this is like, it's a lot of wait and see. It's kind of like, mm, maybe we can like, and I think everyone's just kind of been waiting, hoping things get better. So then we can, you know, just move forward in the old way. But I think it's becoming increasingly clear that that won't work, at least not this year. Yeah, um, I don't see. I mean, they have said, "Hey, Dance with the Stars here in the fall," and they've said it's going to be on Mondays, and Bachelorette's going to air Tuesdays. But I don't know how this happens. I mean, I want Claire's season to happen for her sake. I mean, this is a girl that you know on March thirteenth was set to start filming her season, and the day that the limo entrances were supposed to happen was the day. This was declared a national pandemic, um, so she had to wait four months, and then if she starts up her season, then it gets canceled again. I mean, she's pretty much done as Bachelorette. They're not going to ask her back, and, and why would she want to come back? to be like, look, I'll just take my chances with Raya or you know, Tinder or something because I'm not going to wait around uh, for a third time, and um, it's just, you know, you can chalk it up to just an unfortunate turn of events, which... Um, this is something that, we, we, you know, look, it's COVID has ruined a lot of people's lives and it's ruined our television lives because the other thing is we are so set on a television schedule. Like, I think about things in my calendar year as when is this show on? When does this start? Um, we've always known that, okay, you know, come September, it's Bachelor in Paradise time. And then from September is when The Bachelor starts filming, and then they always take that first Monday in January as, all right, they promote it on the New Year's Eve with the Ryan Seacrest. They always have the, the next Bachelor there in New York <laughs> yeah. to promote it. All that's getting thrown out of whack now. Um, everything's going to be you know, sports. Uh, the, the seasons of sports are all screwed up now. Um, but television schedulers are getting screwed up. And the other thing that I've noticed is that television watching, even with everyone home, Ratings are down all across the board on network television. Um, they're picking up on the on the Netflix and the Hulus, but I mean they're they're down across the board. And if and when Claire's season airs, let's just say they film it, it airs in September. It's certainly going to have lower ratings than any other Bachelorette season, not because of her, but because it's not in the normal slot that most people watch their Bachelorette. They usually watch it May through July. And it's going to be airing on Tuesday night. So you can't compare her season to others. It's just not going to be possible. Um, if they sure. film that season in September, 
then they will be technically back on track because they'll have that first Monday uh, in January to start promoting a season. But, I mean, you've probably seen it across the board. There's just not a lot of ratings are down because there's not a lot of new stuff on TV. That's the other thing. Right. And it's it's interesting, too. Like, I also suspect, at least I know this is the case for me, like, I think a lot of us want to watch different things right now or things that are maybe more comforting or, you know, like I've been rewatching a lot of shows more than I've wanted to watch new shows. Um, and it's interesting. Like just, I was looking at their ratings for the bachelor greatest seasons, oh, which it's, it's awful. Is, it's a clip show. So you're not going to get the same kind of ratings as a new show, but yeah, like the wall and NBC had more viewers and on Monday night cannonball, which NBC previewed before it's going to move to USA network that got more viewers by a significant margin than the bachelor and that show is terrible but it's basically just like watching people go down water slides which somehow is sort of like calming and comforting in a way that maybe like watching you know manipulated drama isn't so i think it's worth asking too like whether people want a season of the bachelor right now and a lot of us like sort of super fans like i want a season of survivor i want to see this you know maybe we're ready for it but with the sort of mass audience, is that what people are looking for? Or do they want to watch Flora's Lava, which has been the number one show on Netflix for the past week um, as we talk? Uh, and I don't know. I think it might be more Flora's Lava, at least right now. What have you heard about uh, Big Brother other than uh, it's supposedly going to be an all-star season, but this is another show where, you know, close quarters for everybody. And again, how do you pull this off in this era of COVID? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think um, one of the things that I was able to uh, do um, as part of the TCA was about maybe it was five or 10 years ago now, um, we were able to go inside the Big Brother house. And as much as I'd watched the show, I was stunned at how small it is and how tight that space is. Like it's a normal soundstage cut in half. And then the half is the Big Brother house. The other half is where the studio audience is. Um, and so you can imagine that like maybe this is the most perfect sort of Corona virus proof environment because you just test everyone and lock them in there. But the real problem is like all the crew members who are behind all the mirrors, there's a tiny, tiny control room upstairs where people are monitoring everyone's audio. There's multiple people sitting there typing every single thing someone says. They're broadcasting live feeds. They're doing edits and like they would have to have, I think, a, a new plan for how to do that because it's impossible to like have physical distancing. Never mind like being six feet apart doesn't matter if you're in the same room breathing with people for an hour because the virus will spread that way. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of changes that are going to be necessary if they're able to do that. Uh, and I don't, I just don't know um, that they'll be able to produce in the same way, at least right now. Um, I would love to be proven wrong and I would love to see their creativity come through. Um, but as of right now, like, Last, you know, I talked to some people who were working on the show and they were kind of planning remotely for a lot of the kind of sort of distance stuff. Like we were planning, you can plan challenges and you can sort of, you can maybe modify challenges or modify things in the house. And so I think that kind of work is being done. But I think the big questions are the ones that are the hardest to solve. And that remains a question mark. You know, and for you, and kind of moving on to your other job of, of teaching, and you're still teaching at, at Stetson, correct? I am, yeah. As of right now, what is the plan for your school going back in the fall? So, yeah, right now they're the plans that they have um, 
released and talked about are basically like a plan to have people back on campus and to have versions of face-to-face classes, but with a lot of modifications, including everyone always wearing masks or face coverings and reducing class sizes by half. So people can be like, instead of like half the class might be in the room one day and half the class the other day. Um, For me as someone who teaches a lot of discussion oriented classes, like I can't quite imagine how I'm going to teach, um, you know, 10 people one day and have a discussion while 10 people are on zoom watching us and then like trying to jump into the conversation. Like that feels like a challenge. Um, and, and honestly, I think I'm kind of do, doing maybe what some people in Hollywood are doing, which is just, you know, our classes aren't going to start again for another six weeks or so. And I'm just kind of doing my work until then. And then I'll kind of figure out what I need to do to, to teach safely, both for me and for my students. And, and I hope the university um, will make good decisions and, you know, trust the people in charge. will do that too. Uh, but just, you know, I think looking broadly at higher education across the country like there's i think a lot of concern like because students want to be back on campus yeah they don't want to you know and they want to be back on campus so they can hang out with people not so they can like wear masks and stand 10 feet apart from each other so it strikes me that that could be a real potential you know for multiple little hot spots to pop up all over the country because we can ask people to wear masks to class but do we honestly think that they're not going to be partying at night or hooking up with each other like you know it's just it's actually kind of like the bachelor uh just uh you know college version <laughs> yeah i mean it's we just there's still here we are as we record this on july 1st um we're, we're at a place where we still technically don't know enough and there might be advancements by the time school rolls around in six weeks or there might not we might still be in the same place and we might be getting spikes uh again all across the country in in positive cases and um, people, you know, well, we got to close down the bars again, or restaurants are only got to go down to 25% again. I mean, we just, we just don't know at this point, but school obviously is a huge thing. And if you're going to allow kids back on campus, especially in a large school, how in the world do you practice? How, how do you have social distancing on a college campus? You can, right. t- you can tell them, but um, yeah, and, and masks obviously are going to be a thing, um, but there's you know there's just a fraction of society that doesn't think masks, you know, do anything, and I'm not going to wear one, and just just to be the anti-mask guy and anti-mask girl. I mean, there's just going to be people putting up fight. You don't need to tell me what to do and all this stuff. We know what's happening, so I don't know. I don't I don't know what happens in in, in colleges and stuff like that. And it's just as a teacher, do you? I mean, you would, like you said, you would feel, could you be, could you teach with a mask on all day when I mean, you would have, I to, mean, right? I probably could, but like, yeah, I, most of my classes, the way I teach is I don't lecture. I I'm, you know, assigning readings or texts or things to watch and we're having discussions about them and doing exercises and activities and, and trying to think about what we're, we're learning, we're, you know, learning by doing in many ways. Um, and so that just becomes exceedingly hard to imagine how we're doing that. And and like for a journalism class, I cannot in good conscience send a student out and say like, go out into the community and interview people like I normally would. And of course, like people can interview people over the phone, like we're doing right now. And I think there's a lot of sort of adaptation that will take place. Um, But yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of desire and I share this, like there's a desire to get back to normal and there's a desire to be in a room with someone. But I think we just have to, 
admit that it's like not going to really work right now. And we're going to have to just live with this for a while longer and hope that a vaccine uh, or substantial treatment or both come through really quickly. And in a year or so, we can all be looking at this and kind of laughing about how we were all unsure of what the future was a year ago. And hopefully we can have a conversation next summer and be like, yeah, like, wasn't it weird? We had that bachelorette season in the spring and now the bachelor is going to be on in the fall. And it's like throwing our world upside down a little bit, but like we're otherwise back to normal. Yeah. And, you know, in in terms of your 20 year anniversary of Reality Blitter, do you have anything special planned uh, for next week on the 8th? Are you doing any sort of retrospective or how are you? Do you have any what do you have going on? Yeah, I mean, just I think that's it's not a it's certainly I'm not planning a, a major block party or anything on board. Like not that I would have been anyway. Um, but yes, no, uh, I'm going to definitely write about it. And and I've been thinking about other things to do and how to share that. And what's most special to me is that there have been people who have been reading the site since the summer of 2000. Um, you know, a lot of people who read Reality Blurred, like read every website, are searching for something and they come in and they find an answer and they read an article or review and that's great. And I'm glad that they had that experience. But the people who sort of check in every day or every few days, um, like that's really amazing. And so I would, you know, I would like to just find a way to basically say thank you to them. And so maybe that's that's what I'm planning is just like thinking about what this anniversary means and 20 years of doing this and and of being able to connect with people um like you and like other people who are just love this genre and even though we can we criticize it and make fun of it sometimes and challenge it um it's still given us a lot of joy and pleasure over the years that's that's for sure yeah and i think it's you know it gets lost on a lot of the contestants because i hear it a lot They, they think you know there's a difference between criticism and hate you can criticize yes. somebody or something. It doesn't mean you hate it, and you it doesn't mean that you you know you're they're your worst contestant ever. And oh my god, what a horrible person! It just means that I'm allowed to criticize if you're if you're putting yourself on the show. I'm allowed to criticize something you said or something you did. Now, if you want to come back with, well, I didn't technically say that because it was Frankenbit and all that stuff, then we can have that discussion. But just because we criticize, it doesn't mean we hate, and that's been lost by a lot um, of, especially with social media now, um, it's just very, it's easily accessible to reach these contestants on any show, whether it's Bachelor or Survivor or Big Brother or anything on Netflix. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's... Yeah, and, it's, and it's, it, for me, it's like when I think about it, like um, I try to write about people in the same way that I would talk to them in real life. I know I don't always do that and I don't, I'm not always successful, but it's like I certainly have disagreements with my friends. I certainly have times when they're you know a family member or somebody i care about will do something that i think is wrong and i will say something to them about it and that can be awkward and uncomfortable um so i'm trying to do it in that same way and but it is it's like you know it's i know it's hard to read and i'm sure but i also know that like you know reality tv contestants get a ton more they get real abuse and real hatred which is very different than criticism or commentary um and i feel bad that they have to suffer that kind of abuse just um, you know, because they went on a TV show because no one deserves that. Yeah, it's um, it, social media has helped reality TV in a major way because it makes these people almost even more real because you can reach out to them and a lot of them will respond or even respond <laughs> in their comments. But it's also 
been a huge negative in terms of how easy it is to really insult somebody and not suffer any repercussions from it. Um, yeah. So it's a really love hate relationship that reality TV has with, with social media. I mean, it's just, there's no way around it uh, because there's going to be trolls out there no matter what you do and how many, how many PSAs you put out there about, Hey, these are real people. Don't say mean things on their Instagram. It's just like, that's just to go ahead for some troll to be like, Oh, okay. They don't want me to say mean things. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, so yeah, exactly. and there's no way around it unless, unless that there's it somehow maybe in, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, whatever, unless there's some way, if you ever leave a racist or misogynistic or homophobic uh, comment on anybody's Instagram, Instagram can ban you and you can be fined or something like that. That'd be the only way to curtail it. And I just don't see how that could possibly happen. Or you can never create another account again um, on Twitter or, or Instagram. And I just, I don't see that happening. You know. One thing that I one thing that's interesting to me, and and I like I love and use social media, but I also hate the way it's like destroying our society in many ways at the same time. Yeah. Um, but like uh, the commenting system that I use on Reality Blurred, which um, you know we have good discussions and and for the most part like a, a good community of people, um, especially talking about Survivor and and some of the big shows. Um, but they've just introduced some really fascinating stuff. And I, I don't know if it works yet, but it's basically like it sort of monitors what you're typing in real time and then warns you if you're like um, insulting someone or using obscenities or racist terms. And so like it's sort of using AI to kind of, check people's behavior before they post it um which i wonder if and like they say they're what they see is that that actually like decreases people's willingness to to say awful things if they're sort of being challenged by it or like this the system says like are you sure you want to post this like this seems pretty mean and racist uh that might actually help a little bit so i don't know if that could become widespread in the same way that the kind of system you're talking about could be maybe equally widespread um but i would love to see technology solve the problems that technology has also created. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's like you said, it just, it was created by technology, but it's, it's a, it's a love hate thing because there's really no way around it. If there's no repercussions for writing something racist or hateful, um, other than maybe you getting your account suspended, but those people that get their account suspended, if they're really dedicated enough, they're just going to create a different account, uh, using a different email address. So I don't know other than, you are literally tracked down and sent a fine in the mail (laughs) and it goes on your record. Um, I, I just don't know how else, how else you can do it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, it's the frustrating part of this job now of how easy it is for people to say whatever they want, whatever they want behind a screen name and suffer nothing from it. But hopefully, like you said, something, something will change in the future. But, um, Andy, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on 20 years of Reality Blurred. We'll be looking uh, next Wednesday for your retrospective or whatever you have planned uh, for that. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it, and great to talk to you as always, and uh, keep up the good work. You got it. Thank you. Thanks so much to Andy uh, for coming on and doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, he's been a guy that, like you said, third time he's been on, and I could talk media stuff and um, you know just – television in general especially in these weird times that we're in where you know i brought it up earlier in the podcast stuff just you know you're used to okay this is going to start in the fall you know hey this is us it's supposed to start in september even scripted shows and stuff's just getting thrown off because tv shows aren't able to film and 
things are getting pushed back. And when you push it back now, it affects it on the back end because it's supposed to end by a certain time. And, you know, maybe if a scripted show is supposed to have 22 episodes in it now with COVID, it's only going to have 16 or 14. Um, And I'm talking network stuff because most stuff on Netflix and Hulu are 10 to 12 episode shows. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, The Dance with the Stars things is pretty fascinating. Um, They're set to come back. You know, we all know that Caitlin's going to be one of the contestants, but how do you pull Dancing with the Stars off unless you're literally testing those people every day or every other day? Um, and then is Dancing with the Stars really that important of a show or is it is it as lively of a show without an audience? Because it seems like, not that the audience makes that show, but the audience really does play a role in Dancing with the Stars. Uh, you ask any contestant who's been on that show and you know you kind of feed off the energy of the crowd and... If you're just dancing by yourself with a partner and four judges and a couple hosts standing there, I, I don't know. I, things are going to be different. Just, and it's no different than sports. You know, it's just going to be weird watching sports with no fans uh, in the crowd. But we'll see. Um, good thing is I didn't sniffle too much during my interview with Andy. But yeah, I got a little bit of the sniffles. And um, I think it has to do with the fact that it's starting to get really hot here in Texas. And. My house is kept pretty cool, so the contrast of constantly going from the cool weather and breathing in the cool weather at night versus how hot it is outside, that's usually what happens to me every summer season. So it's a little bit, but not too bad. Anyway, uh, thank you, Andy, for coming on, uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. It is uh, much appreciated. Uh, this was episode number 189. Oh, my God, we're coming up on 200. Should I do something special for 200? When would that be? So that would be about September-ish? Yeah. Eh, we'll see. I'll plan it out see if I can get somebody special for episode number 200. Anyway, thank you to Andy again for coming on. Uh, thank you all for listening. So that'll do it for episode 189. We'll be back next week with episode 190. Talk to you next week. See ya!